Today we um, get to Stephen, and his story is going to last for an entire uh, chapter and a half. And it begins with the topic of truth, particularly the consequences of truth. There's a powerful moment in the rhythm of our weekly worship that is easy uh, to go unappreciated. Every week, we do a confession of faith. That part of our service may seem routine, maybe even boring to you. Maybe you wish we didn't even do it. But it's actually the most controversial moment of our worship each week. This world is not offended by the songs we sing, by our prayers that we pray. They're not offended that we gather together and confess our sins, give our money, take communion. There's only one part of our service where you get offensive. Now, I... Uh, the preachers, the pastors do the preaching and, and we try our best to do so in a non-offensive way. But of course, that itself always still bears an offense to it. But there's one part where you get to be offensive, where you get to be controversial. In a pluralistic world of competing worldviews, there is that one audacious moment of your week where you say, this is what is true. And... Therefore, consequently, every other claim is false. Do you know how offensive that is to our culture? Do you know how offensive truth is to our culture? I mean, you you literally just said, there is only one Redeemer and His name is Jesus. It's one thing to say that in here. But you say it out there and you will quickly discover how offensive that is. One of the favorite my favorite stories I've ever received as a pastor is from a family who is a while back who's telling me about um, about how the liturgy that we do is has, is forming their kids without even knowing it and um, they said that they were with uh, family members who were not Christians unbelieving family members and the topic of religion came up and and uh, the, these family members asked them you know what is it that you all even believe and the mom said that she was, it was squirming, didn't know what's the right thing to say. How do I say this? But before she get a word out of her mouth, her little child said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by, you know. <laughs> I, I have no idea if the parents let him get through the whole creed. I think it would be awesomely awkward if they did. <laughs> but my point is that you take that out there, you say what we say and hear out there, you'll quickly see how controversial and offensive truth is. The reality is, the truth hurts. It hurts those who do not believe the truth, and in turn, they will hurt you for believing the truth. And this is what we see in our passage this morning. Two things are going to develop here. We'll see the truth hurt the world, and then the world hurt the truth. Let's start with the first. Look at verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, what Luke is doing here is going to detailed links for the reader to appreciate the uniqueness of Stephen. And he is very unique in the book of Acts. It's the only time 
in Acts that someone other than the apostles was reported to be endowed with miraculous power. And the reason for this is that Stephen is going to be put forth both in this chapter and the next, as an example of sorts. If you recall from last week, Stephen is a newly ordained deacon of the church. Remember what I said, literally translated, servant. And the message here in verse 8 is that in this new covenant church, the servants of the church, not just the quote-unquote leaders, are endowed with the power and authority of Jesus. But not just the power of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus as well. It is going to be, again, a quote-unquote servant who is, who is destined to be our example of how to suffer well for Jesus. That's the point of Stephen's story. And in this way, Stephen is going to become a model of what it costs to follow Jesus and how to bear that cost well. You see, our passage is all setting the scene for the church's first martyr. We will get to that in a couple weeks, but it's important to bear that in mind as we look at this passage today. We are reading what ultimately ends in Stephen's stoning. But what's important for us to ask is what is it that gets Stephen stoned? And does it apply to us? Continue on verse 19, or excuse me, verse 9 to see. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogues of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians... And of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. Now, the reason those details are there is to note what we wouldn't know unless we were familiar with the context and Stephen and the reader is is that um, this is the same area and community that Stephen comes from. That's why Luke's going into such detail here about these people. um, So the point is that some of the folks who would presumably be former friends of Stephen, uh, certainly acquaintances are now rising up against him. Now, what is it that he could have done that has them so angry? To go from a member of the community to the community rising up to stone him, what could Stephen have possibly done? And the answer is that it's not what he did. It's what he said. Verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. This is really important for us to see. It's not the power, it's not the miracles, or any of the sensational stuff that we see in Acts that gets Stephen or even the apostles ever in trouble. Instead, it's the truth. It's their message. And here is why that's important. We don't bear the same miraculous power that we see demonstrated in Acts. But we are bearers of the same truth. It does not say they could not withstand his miraculous power. It says they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And that same wisdom and that same spirit now abides with us. The word wisdom might throw us off because you might think of yourself as I'm not a wise person, but you're interpreting that wrong, you're interpreting that word wrongly. And the ancient culture is much more than intelligent insight and uh, debating skills or anything like that. Um, It definitely involved that, but it was more than that. It was something akin to the way we speak of philosophy. In fact, the the Greek word for, um, the Greek word for wisdom is sophia. So thus, philosophia. Um, 
And, and this is the nature of wisdom, biblically speaking. For example, we speak of conventional wisdom. That is not talking about somebody's ability to be wise. It's talking about a, a system of belief. And that's more how the Bible uses it. The Bible um, speaks often of things like the wisdom of this age or the wisdom of the world. So this is something more akin to a worldview. And it's this, the philosophy, the worldview of Christianity that the world cannot withstand, that cannot be defeated. Sure, my oratory skills and debate skills and wisdom, yeah, that's fallible and that can be defeated. But the worldview, the truth of Christianity cannot be denied. So what I'm trying to get us to understand is that it's the truth more so than one skillful argumentation that is the issue. You have to understand that our creed is not merely an option among other options. Our creed is true. What we believe is true, exclusively so. Thus, the wisdom of this age cannot withstand the wisdom of our worldview to use the language of the text. So, what Stephen has here in verse 10 is what you have. The truth, the the wisdom of God, and the Spirit of God. And just like in our passage, what we have cannot be withstood. So, brothers and sisters, we are not to be a timid people. One of the marks of the pluralist society we inhabit is doubt. This is a unique cross of the secular world. We don't have have the luxury of a culture that just simply assumes what we believe. We have a culture that challenges what we believe in every way. We constantly find ourselves among competing worldviews. And this naturally causes us to doubt our worldview. Now that's okay. God is patient. God can handle your doubts not shaming those. There is absolutely room within Christianity for I believe, help my unbelief. But let me help your unbelief. It's true. All of it. Sometimes we just need to be reminded and encouraged of this, that we are not a people of wishful thinking. We are a people of truth. And there is an empty grave to prove it. But this is also why we are destined to be a persecuted people. The truth hurts. The reason why Christian worldview is the most hated and persecuted worldview in history is because it is the true worldview of history. And its truth is a threat. Therefore, it is a hated truth. Which brings me to my second point. The truth hurts in another way. Because the truth hurts the world, the world in turn tries to hurt the truth. Let's look at that. Verse 11. Look what they do. They cannot, just left off in verse 10, they cannot withstand his his wisdom and spirit. Verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Now, do you notice what just happened? 
They couldn't withstand what Stephen was saying, so they are relegated to distorting what Stephen is saying. They secretly instigate false testimony, which leads to his capture. And once captured, they bring in more false testimony. Claiming that Stephen is saying that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the law of Moses. But we know that's not what Stephen is saying because in the next chapter we get to hear explicitly what Stephen is saying. But what's important to note is that this is a distortion or a misrepresentation of what Stephen is saying. Meaning this, their way... To bear false witness against the truth is to take Stephen's words and twist them to mean something different. Stephen didn't preach that Jesus came to destroy the temple. What he did preach was that the temple was obsolete because the Spirit has come and indwelt believers and uh, the Holy Spirit now abides in us, not a room. Stephen didn't preach that Jesus came to change the law of Moses. He came to fulfill the law of Moses. And in such a way that we now see what the law of Moses was truly about. And all of that will come out when we look at Stephen's speech. But the greater point for us today is that this is what the world does with truth. Perhaps some contemporary examples would help us understand the nature of this. Stephen's truth challenged the deeply held convictions of his day. The temple, Moses, these are Jewish customs and traditions that Stephen's challenging. What are the deeply held convictions of our day? How about sexuality and gender? A huge conviction in our age. So the Christian worldview believes that sexuality and gender are God-designed things with God-instituted parameters. Our world's response to that truth claim... You're homophobic. But that's not true. That's a false testimony. That's not what we're saying. I can believe a historical, orthodox, sexual ethic and still have love for the LGBTQ community. But to the world, that's not possible. They don't see it that way. Orthodox sexual ethics is hateful and harmful because it's an assault against their deeply held convictions of our culture. And so what we're saying is taken in a way that we're not saying it. How about tolerance? The Christian worldview obviously teaches that Jesus alone is true. World's response, you're all narrow-minded bigots. That's not true. That's not what we're saying. That's a false testimony. I'm not a bigot. I just believe what I believe is true, just like everyone else believes what they believe is true. But to the world, belief in the exclusivity of Jesus is intolerant. How about abortion? March for Life was this week, and I talked about it on my podcast. Christian worldview teaches the sacredness of all life, including, yes, the life of the unborn. Our world's response, you hate women and their autonomy over their own body. That's not true. Nobody's saying that. I didn't say that. That's a false testimony. Just because I stand against abortion doesn't mean I hate women or their freedom to make choices. But to the world, to be pro-life is to mean that. You see what I'm saying? By the way, as I said on my podcast, anytime I talk or write about abortion, I I, I caveat it every time with, um, I know how painful that is. I know that I'm I'm sure every time I speak, there are people who have have, uh, dealt with that in personal ways. And just just as a reminder, it is not the unforgivable sin. God's grace is stronger than anything we can do. And yes, that does include abortion. But it's not about abortion. 
I'm only using these contemporary examples to help you understand what they're doing with Stephen in our passage. They are taking the truth that he is proclaiming and twisting it into things he isn't saying. Ultimately, do you know what this is? A suppression of truth. When Paul diagnosed the fallen human condition, this is the nuanced language that he uses. In Romans 1, he says that humanity suppresses the truth. Meaning by our design as image bearers of God, we know what is right and true. We do. It's undeniable. The truth is undeniable. But what do we do? Instead, we suppress the truth. We suppress it. Truth is something that cannot be denied, but it is something that can be twisted or suppressed. And that's what the world will do with bearers of truth as well. Our testimony ultimately cannot be denied, so they will seek to suppress it, to twist it, to misrepresent it. And this is why Jesus will always be proven right when he says, the world will hate you. Why? Because followers of Jesus are followers of truth. Because Jesus is truth. And the truth hurts the world, which in turn seeks to hurt the truth. With one hugely important caveat. Just make sure it's Jesus that does the hurting. Verse 15 is an odd conclusion to the chapter, but makes an important point. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What we will see, not just in this verse, but throughout the account of Stephen, is that Luke goes to incredible lengths to show the impeccability of Stephen's character. He almost describes him as Jesus-like. Even as he's being stoned, Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, just like Jesus did when he was being killed. Um, this, is, this is very odd for Scripture, okay? Um, scripture is quick to point out the failures of his characters, to present um, them as doubting or failing or, or fearful. And to present someone in what seems to be flawless light is very unconventional. And certainly Stephen was a sinner, just like everyone, and certainly there are many flaws that I'm sure could have been pointed out. But remember, he is being put forth as a model for Christian suffering, And the point that Acts is reinforcing by portraying Stephen this way is that it's Jesus and his truth that brings persecution and martyrdom, not Stephen. Stephen is not the reason he's going to get stoned. Jesus is. Which brings me to my caveat. I've said this before. It bears repeating, especially in our day of what can only be called obnoxious, militant Christianity. Not all hatred from the world is Christian persecution. It's possible they don't like us because we're insufferable. And Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted for their meanness. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. He doesn't say, you'll be hated by all men because you're a jerk. He says, you'll be hated by all men on account of me. So the enormous qualifier to Christian persecution is that we must go to every link to ensure it's Jesus doing the offending. If people hate you, first go to the fruit of the Spirit and evaluate yourself. Check yourself. 
Because if you are embodying the fruit of the Spirit, then you know it's the Spirit that is being hated, not your actions. Now, with that caveat aside, let's turn to application of the text, okay? And, and, and the application is really simple, really simple question. Are you willing to tell the truth? Will you be honest with the truth that you believe is true? Perhaps better question first is to ask, I suppose I must ask, will you accept the truth? Um, because in my preaching, I never want to assume all listening to me are with me in this. Perhaps you, especially with a sermon like this, perhaps you don't like me very much right now as I stand here proclaiming that this is all true. Uh, but I think it's probably the case that if you are here or if you are listening online, that you are open to considering whether this is true. And perhaps you are even growing soft to the idea. The only thing I can tell you is that it is true. And that is the reason to accept it. Don't convert to this truth claim because of an emotional experience that you may have. Every Christian will tell you those come and go. Don't convert to this truth claim because it will make your life better. I hope my sermon has shown you that's not the case at all. C.S. Lewis said, I didn't go to Christianity to make me happy. I always knew a good bottle of port would do that. He said, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. And I would agree. Lewis is right. Don't follow Jesus if you want comfort. Because it promises the opposite. Instead, convert to this truth claim for one and only one reason. Because it's true. That's Francis Schaeffer's famous quote. The only reason to become a Christian is because it's true. And my promise to you is this. The truth will set you free. First the truth hurts. Then it sets you free. Now... Back to my original question. To to those followers of Jesus who accept this as true, again, I want to ask you, are you willing to tell the truth? Are you willing, like Stephen, to be honest with the truth that you believe? There are two things that Stephen could have done that would have prevented his capture and martyrdom. Remain silent with the truth or distort the truth to make it more palatable. And this is the temptation for all of us who don't want to be persecuted. To stay quiet or do the truth with a spin that we know will be more palatable. Because we know the truth hurts and will in turn hurt us. It's tempting to either keep quiet or to compromise. But neither is an option for the follower of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus, the Jesus we follow, did neither. Jesus, who is truth, told the truth. And yes, it hurt the world. And yes, the world in return crucified him. And this is what we fear. We fear the cross of telling the truth. But beloved, need I remind you that the truth rose from the dead? Need I remind you that the truth prevailed in the end and so will it be for every single one of us who chooses to tell the truth. It will hurt, but in the end, it will prevail. You will be vindicated, whether in this life or in the resurrection, it matters not. You can't stop what is true. So, let's tell the truth. Let's be honest with our faith. Awkward as it may be. And I mean that as in this week. Tell the truth.
You have the same spirit that Stephen has. And that spirit is faithful. And he is going to, this week, there will be a moment where the spirit will convict you and tell you, tell the truth. He's going to bring the sermon up. And you're going to face it. And he's going to say, be honest. I'm asking you to yield to the spirit and tell the truth. Yes, with humility. Yes, with sensitivity. Yes, whimsically. But for Christ's sake, tell the truth. Literally, for Christ's sake. I can't promise it will go well for you. In fact, our passage tells us to expect the opposite. But I can tell you it will be true. And eventually, the truth will prevail. Let me pray. Or at any time we talk about courage and persecution, and not just this week, but in the weeks to come as we look at Stephen's story, we need an extra dose of strength from you. And Lord, we believe we get that in some mysterious way from this table. This meal tells the truth, and the truth is that you love us, you are with us, and you shall come again. And so, Lord, may we feast on this truth that we ourselves might be bold with truth. In Jesus' name, amen.